Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today I'm joined by the Executive Director of Operations for G3 Ministries, Virgil Walker. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, man, I'm glad to be with you. Glad to be on the podcast. So we're 90 days or so uh, from the G3 National Conference, lots of moving parts, lots of plans that we're finalizing. So we look forward to uh, what's going to happen in Atlanta here in just a few weeks. So uh, as we're thinking about, as we're talking and praying and planning and doing everything that we're doing behind the scenes, make a case for someone who's listening to this very podcast, this conversation. They're thinking about coming. Maybe they've never been to a G3. Maybe they've been to four or five G3s. They don't know if they should come to this one. Why should they actually make the effort to be in Atlanta in just a few weeks? Yeah, well, I, I started out by kind of watching the G3 event uh, on a men who are preaching right now, as far as I'm concerned, who, who are exposing the word of God in front of you and, and the, the experience that you're going to have when that takes place right there in the same room. Uh, number two, the, just the, the, the worship that takes place in that space is just powerful with you know 5,000 people, 6,000 plus that we'll probably have a, a, during this G3. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be just, just life-changing, really is. And then thirdly, I'd, I'd say that the the interactions that you're going to have with individuals through fellowship is just you can't you can't do that through a live stream. Some of the connections that I've made over the course of my time uh, at G3 are are connections from 2017 that have that are, that are still connections for me today. These are still great men and women of God who, uh, because of the relationships that we forged there at G3, are still a part of my life today, integral part of my life today in ministry today. So I, I, I really want to encourage everybody uh, to attend a live G3 event. Absolutely. You know, I look back at people that I've met at the G3 National Conference, including yourself. I, I met you for the first time, and then we bumped into one another at the SBC and other gatherings, other conferences along the way. But we meet friends and we uh, interact with or engage with specific ministry organizations in the exhibit hall that actually end up helping our local churches. And so this is critically important, and we need to uh, put an emphasis on being there if you can. Uh, obviously, we're a biennial conference rotation now for the national conference, so the next opportunity would be 2023 for a G3 national conference. So we encourage you, if you're thinking about coming, maybe you've uh, been to numerous G3s and you're just trying to figure out if you can make it happen, we would encourage you to actually be with us. And and obviously, as, as I've now done, and in fact, both of us have, Virgil, we've actually gone to uh, numerous walkthroughs at the new venue, downtown Atlanta, uh, right next to Centennial Olympic Park. Um, lots of amenities, lots of family opportunities to just enjoy your family around the G3. And as we have more and more families coming with fall weather, the park right next to the convention center, uh, there's the College Football Hall of Fame, there's the 
the uh, the aquarium. There's all sorts of things there, lots of restaurants. So we encourage you to come and to join us for this upcoming conference in just a couple of months now. And as we think about really the heart of G3 Ministries, Virgil, you know, from the very beginning, uh, what we have attempted to do with G3 has been to be an encouragement to the local church. And so at the heart of this ministry, G3 Ministries, exists a passion for the health and the strength of local churches. But yet, as we look at the church today, we see lots of issues, you know, concerns. I mean, here we are within the Southern Baptist Convention with a plagiarism scandal. But, you know, it's, it's really not something that's brand new, if you think about it. And I'm not talking just about plagiarism. I'm talking about the, the problems, the lack of health in the local church. You look back in, in previous years within the SBC and you see a controversy related to the plans and the program of the, you know, the SBC's pastors conference. And so you look at what was really going to be a circus show had it not been for COVID-19 and then the, the cancellation of the entire SBC that year. But, you know, w- when you look at what you know, major groups and networks like the SBC are putting before local churches and saying, this is, this is what we would say we want to model before churches. This is problematic. So as you look at the church today, and as you evaluate the local church, and as you think about the health of the pulpit and the health of ministry philosophy or worship philosophy, what do you see that's troubling that, 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 that brings about pause in your own heart to think about how we as a ministry should be helping local churches strive for health. Yeah, one of the things, Josh, that that you talked about when we, you know, look at uh, the SBC or or any or any church model that 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 really has not uh, taken the time to examine Scripture and really come away with a with biblical ecclesiology, we're, we're going to find those kinds of problems. Um, one of the things that I appreciate, in contrast to. Uh, some of the some of the things that that are marking up the headlines right now. Uh, one of the things I appreciate is 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 G three and and here's why. Every year when when I attended a G three conference, it, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, the focus was always about how to strengthen the local church. Uh, that 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 was a that was a desire, a heart's desire of of yours and the vision for for G three that that you had was 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 equipping and educating the local local church, encouraging the local church. And so, what you saw in every facet of from ministry that took place on on platform to uh, what someone was going to preach to even even the exhibits were thoughtful about how do we do things that are going to be a, beneficial to the local church. Now, in contrast to that. When I look at at the rest of culture and other examples and other spaces and places, people are desiring to build bigger platforms, uh, but but a lot of the platforms that they're building uh, really have little to do with with a local focus of the church. Um, we we know that the average church is you know running somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty to one hundred and fifty people, and um, I love the fact that when we begin to do ministry, when we plot out ministry, our thought process is with that person, that pastor, that local pastor in mind, uh, rather than you know than 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 the three thousand plus mega church and you know with with all with all their different satellites and and the like. And again, not that not that there's anything in, inherently wrong with with the with the men who are part of that, but but just that the model and what we're thinking about really is a focus on on the local body. 
on on the church, uh, both visible and invisible. Uh, but but with with the idea that we want to we want to minister to local pastors. We want to strengthen local churches. And so I, I, there's a lot of problems. All of them are in the headlines to be direct about your question. They're all in the headlines. They're everywhere we turn. We see it everywhere from CRT to social justice, uh, you name it, to, to, to you know, the fight and battle with regard to egalitarianism uh, and complementarianism. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, that, that I've landed somewhere here at G3. We're going to go back to Scripture and examine what the Bible has to say about these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of good books out there about the church and about, you know, church polity or the health of, of a local church and that type of thing. But as we think about the health of a church or the lack thereof, I mean, when you think about assembling a group of people together who are really not satisfied with God and who do not look to the Word of God as the sufficient Word of God, that's really a recipe for disaster. I mean, that's how you end up, right? That's how you end up with pastors, or you might really call them clowns, flying to the pulpit on a zip line. You know, I mean, how do you end up there? I mean, you just have to logically think about, like, if I'm going to be planning to be a pastor and training for the ministry, how do you go from, from that initial sense of a call to ministry? What does that mean, right, to entering the pulpit on a zip line? Or... That, that initial call to ministry and praying through what it means to be called to be a pastor, a shepherd of souls, to then leading your church to, you know, have indoor fireworks on the 4th of July, or uh, that initial call to ministry and that sense of calling to be a pastor, to then leading your church to embrace this idea of social justice as a core aspect of your ministry. So where do we go? And, and I think that you, you really hit the nail on the head there. You talked about going back to Scripture. And when we evaluate 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay— now this is Paul writing here to Timothy— that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress— of the truth. Uh, again, those two verses loaded with truth. But when you think about this idea of how one ought to behave or to conduct himself or herself in the household of God, how many times do we really pause and think about what that means? Okay, so the the idea of how we should function and then how we should worship is there a ministry philosophy that you're thinking about when you think about gathering with your church on the on the Lord's Day? Is there a specific uh, worship philosophy? Is there a specific rhyme or reason to the liturgy that you have? You say, well, I don't think that our church has a liturgy. Every church has a liturgy. Sometimes that liturgy is more visibly organized, and, and then and other times it, it's not so much. But But there is a liturgy to every worship service. And so we just need to ask ourselves honest questions. How do we, how do we end up in a place to where the church is so unhealthy and in need of such increase of health and strength in our present hour? And it's really discouraging in many ways. I mean, you think about it, but 
But we need to be asking ourselves honest questions. And, I, and, and as, as I'm thinking about the very subject of the, the health of a local church, I'm thinking in terms of, okay, should we have a regulative principle of worship or a normative principle of worship? In other words, should the, should the elders of a local church actually lead the church to embrace the idea, the principle that drives our church ministry, that we will only do what is mandated and prescribed in our worship that which is actually prescribed by the Word of God? Or should we just say anything goes so long as it's not prohibited in the Bible? Like, how should we approach that, right? And that's actually going to change the dynamic of your local church on a week-to-week basis, right? Absolutely. When I when I think about what you said, you you asked the question how how do, how do we get to some of these places and spaces that that, that we got to with regard to worship? How how do you go from being a, a a person who's training for the pastorate to to zip lining and to doing other things? And and I think it, it again goes back to the scripture scripture that that you read where Paul is instructing. Timothy, he's writing to him to remind him so that so that as we as he perce- as he proceeds and, and moves forward and, and begins to be engaged in in the work of ministry that he doesn't lose sight of what was originally thought about. Right at, at the end of the day, I think it, it really boils down to answering the question: To whom does the, does the church belong? Right? Who whose church is this? Uh, if if this is if this is your your local congregation's church, well then you're gonna you're gonna you know put your finger to the wind and figure out which wind which way the wind is blowing, and you're gonna do what 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 the majority of people vote on to, for you to do. But if you recognize that that this church belongs to Christ, this is Christ's church that God the Father uh, planned to give Christ the bride, the church, and that this is His body. Then you're going to operate very differently with the questions that that you're asking, and so I think I think again when when you when you look at at the declaration of of Jesus uh, to Peter uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen where he tells Peter on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it Ephesians chapter one verse twenty two where where he talks where where where, where uh, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus that God the Father put all things under his feet and and gave Christ as head over the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so when you think about the fact that this is not, this is not my church, this is not how I, let me create it in my own image and likeness. No, this is the body of Christ. And as a result, we should operate very differently with his bride. Paul Washer talks about this all the time, uh, you know, in the examples that, that he provides with regard to, we, we need to be careful how we fix up, quote unquote, uh, the, the bride of Christ. No, that's really helpful. In fact, I, I want to know, you know, and I often wonder, in fact, I often ask questions to people that I meet at the G3 conference when I'm having conversations, or if I meet someone that comes and visits our local church and they're considering or praying through membership. But how often is it that we come to, you know, the ideas surrounding our church and thinking about why it is that we do what we do on a week-to-week basis? You know, is is there really any thought that goes into it? Uh, Someone visited our church not long ago, and they came on uh, a midweek gathering, you know, for our prayer meeting. And they said that they were going to be moving into this area from California. And then um, they were, uh, of course, 
coming on a job transfer. So as we were having this conversation, we expected to see them back on a Lord's Day and they haven't been back. And then they recently reconnected with us and said that they uh, have been visiting another church because it was seven minutes closer to their home. So as they were driving, seven minutes made the difference for them. So it wasn't ministry philosophy because the church that they were actually saying that they were attending has a completely different ministry philosophy than what we hold to. And obviously, you know, uh, I don't look at our church and think, well, we are like the top rung in the ladder. Like we've actually arrived. There are lots of things that we're working on on a week to week basis in the life of our own church. So I'm not looking at this thing through like rose colored glasses here. But what I am thinking about is like when I hear someone say that a church was just seven minutes closer, yet I look at the ministry philosophy and the worship philosophy and how the church is organized. And I think, well, you know, obviously seven minutes would have, you know, it wouldn't have made the difference for me in that specific case. But then I want to, you know, as I was listening to someone preach recently on a, on a recording, they came on, it was on YouTube and they, they were welcoming the, the people at another campus and they were mentioning like several campuses. Welcome to such and such campus. We're glad that you've joined us. Welcome to another campus. We're glad that you've joined us. And, and as I'm, as I'm listening to that, that type of communication, I'm thinking about if I were there, have I really thought about the nature of the church? If I'm in another campus, just watching this on a, on a screen with a group of people seated in a theater, you know, someplace, you know, have I really put a lot of thought into what it means to assemble as a body of believers? And so there's a lot of things that we really need to think about when it comes to the functionality of a church. For instance, single campus or multi-campus model, a plurality of elders or a single pastor model, multiple services with multiple ministry philosophies for a wide array of different preferences, or a single service with a single ministry philosophy band-driven or congregational worship. You know, I was I was listening to, you mentioned Paul Washer. I was listening to him being interviewed recently, and he was talking about uh, a, a, an influx of college students that started attending their church, and he was getting to know them. And he started noticing that a lot of them, when it was time for the singing, they were just merely mumbling. They weren't really engaged in the singing during that part of the worship service. And as he talked to them, he started noticing and discovering that the reason for that, the reason for their lack of passion in singing was because they were coming from churches where they were accustomed to just merely standing there and mumbling as the band was up there playing and singing for them. And so you just really need to think through, why is it that we do what we do in a worship service? Church discipline or congregational freedom? Is there a gospel-shaped liturgy or a pragmatic-shaped liturgy? Is, there, is your church confessional, or do you pride yourself in that idea of no creed but the Bible? By the way, that's a creed too, just to be clear, right? Right, right, um, right. Does your church practice hospitality? Uh, what emphasis does your church place on Christian koinonia, that idea of togetherness and fellowship of the saints? And so there's a lot of things to think through when we think about the life and the functionality of the local church. I think I think what happens often is uh, the, what new pastors, young pastors are doing. Josh is all of what you just mentioned are are ideas that should be thought through, 
But most aren't thinking through those ideas and they're not opening, they're not thinking through and answering those questions with an open Bible. What they're doing is they're looking at the at the latest kind of cookie cutter uh, pop up popcorn church uh, with with the with the name love in it uh, that they could put on the on the on the next street corner uh, and 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 start and start quote unquote ministering right a, a lot of these guys haven't been sent by anybody haven't been confirmed by anybody maybe they just left the last church and no one gave them a a microphone, so they figured this is the next way for them to to start up their own thing and start a microphone and get a, get a following and and start and start doing church, rather than really sitting down and thinking through the, the just the aspects of what you talked about. You know, regular regulative principle versus normative principle. Are, are we going to open our Bible and find out what the Bible has to say about worship and engage in that, or are we going to pragmatically appeal? to whatever the latest pop culture song is and introduce that into the service so that people who don't who aren't accustomed to church service hear the latest pop song they get comfortable before we start preaching the word of god i mean th- th- all of these things need to be thought through but folks are are looking at at the latest youtube video to see what what church growth model makes sense to them and they're applying that more than they're opening the scriptures to really unpack the truths of God's Word. Absolutely. One of the things that I say often is this idea that the culture is deforming your church, the functionality and worship of your church on a weekly basis, which necessitates the need for a bold reformation. So every single week when we come back and gather, there's a need for reform. There's a need for repentance. There's a need for coming back to the Word of God to say, no, this is what God requires of me. And this is what God asks of our church. So, and that, that includes everything from the way we sing to how much we give financially to our local church. Uh, it, it includes lots of things. So when we hear that type of language about the culture deforming us, not only is the culture and the cultural pressures around us deforming the, the functionality of the church, but Oftentimes, disgruntled members can actually play a part of that as well. You know, if you have disgruntled members, they can put pressure upon uh, the life of and the decision making of elders within the life of a local church. You know, they come in and they say, well, you know, we just feel like we need a change. And so we're going to, you know, go down to another church down the road that, that will offer us X, Y, or Z that you're not offering us. And the temptation of a pastor under that type of pressure is to say, well, then maybe I need to conform to that type of ministry model too and give the people what they want so that they will stay here. Or maybe, maybe even new families would come into the life of our church if we'll offer that type of thing too. So as we think about the life of the church and the health of a church, what would you say to young pastors as they're thinking about making decisions about, you know, how they would quote unquote, do church or arrange the philosophy of ministry and infuse that within the life of a local congregation. I think it's, I think it's important to, again, give, give biblical considerations to every facet of what we're doing regarding, regarding church and uh, making sure that, that we're not simply, you know, checking the wind or, or calling, the, calling the big box uh, church down the street to find out what we should be offering Next, and uh, I mean that's a, a lot of that is kind of what's what's happening in 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 young church culture, 
young people have have been catered to from a standpoint of felt needs. They feel like they need to find the place or space that meets those felt needs uh, and then move in that direction. The story that you told earlier about the seven minutes uh, really kind of struck home with me because at the end of the day, uh, for me, it really is about, uh, especially given the cultural climate that we're engaged in, it really, for me, is about who is preaching the word of God, who is standing on the truth of God's word, not only from a standpoint of, of preached word in the pulpit, but from a standpoint of orthopraxy. What does it look like to practice what we're learning in the word of God throughout church life? And so w- what I'm looking for is a, is a model that, 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 again, not perfect by any stretch, but is striving to reflect that, striving to, to reflect what scripture has to say about these matters. And we should all be looking for a church, regardless of it's seven minutes, 10 minutes, uh, 30 minutes away. You, and again, you think about the, uh, the, the opportunities that we have in America where you could go seven minutes down the road and find the next church. You know, Church of Ephesus was the church at Ephesus, and that was it. Uh, you know, they didn't have the program you liked, so be it. You know, you dealt with it. And uh, now we're in a culture where there's a there's a church, there's a quote unquote church on every street corner. And so you can kind of take your take your pick. I don't know that that's that's necessarily a, a good thing, especially if we if we're looking at making sure that that we're being fed based upon what the Bible has to say. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in recent days, we've had a, a, a quite an uptick in growth in our own local church here. And as we've had those conversations with those families who have now transitioned into the life of our church, a lot of them, Virgil, are actually driving 40 or more minutes to this church. And they've made the intentional decision to come here as opposed to going elsewhere where it's really a a pragmatic sort of ministry philosophy or man-centered ministry philosophy. And so they're, they're hungry for biblical truth. And I'm typically preaching, you know, 48 to 52 minute sermons weekly, not trying to dumb things down, not trying to just be shallow, but trying to to give a robust sermon every single Lord's Day on purpose. And so, again, we practice church discipline here. We're not trying to do things, you know, I'm not up there looking at YouTube saying, oh, well, that guy has a, he, he preaches with a, you know, a, a big screen TV next to him. And he holds his Bible out and he wears, you know, jeans or this, that, and the other. He he wears certain sneakers. And so maybe I need to do that too. And that's not the way that the elders here at this church, that's not what we're doing. We're not getting into a room and trying to figure out what the trends are, like you mentioned earlier, you know, what the, the direction that the winds are blowing to try to figure out how we could sort of harness our sails to that and, and increase and grow in, in that way. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to actually grow as we preach the word and we provide people with with substantial spiritual food on a week-to-week basis, and we organize the ministries of this church according to the word of God without apology. And we believe that as we do that, God will raise up people. He will convert sinners, and he will raise up people in the life of this church as we continue to be faithful to the word of God. So that would be my encouragement to pastors who are listening to this, or even church members who are listening to this very podcast, and they're thinking about the life of their church, they're thinking about the health of their church and why it is that they do what they do. There's a responsibility in the life of the church from leadership to the membership as well. There's a dual responsibility. And so we have the responsibility as elders to shepherd, to lead, and to feed 
from the Word of God, as you ref- as you referenced, um, you know the the scriptures earlier talking about you know feeding the flock, and so that's our that's our calling. We are to preach the word. We are to feed uh, the people. We are to feed God's people with the word of God. But then there's also a responsibility from the actual members of the church to be visible, to be teachable, to be vulnerable, to be usable, to be lovable. I mean, there's all sorts of of aspects to church membership. You know, you can't just be a member of the church and then show up every now and then. You can't just be a, a member of a church and show up, uh, you know, when you feel like showing up or give sporadically. No, you need to be engaged. You know, you're the you need to be at the center of that church's life. And that church needs to be, as you're called to that church, needs to be at the center of your own heart. You need to have the affections that God speaks of in the Word of God about love, loving one another, caring for one another, and and being a part of the functionality of that local church. And so the church and the health of a church has so many different layers, and it's important for us to think about all of these various different, both theological and practical layers regarding church membership. Yeah, I, I, man, I totally agree. I, I, one of the things that's been a, a tremendous benefit is I've made this this move, this transition from Omaha, Nebraska, now here to, to Douglasville, um, and, and how, how the church was an integral part of that transition, both in my departure as as I you know left my my home church well we were we were at a place where people loved us cared for us uh, are are even still providing oversight for us in matters uh, of of our home and the sale of that home and other things they are they are carefully inter, in, interwoven into our lives and then as we come here to this new space and new place how how the church warmly embraced us as a family and, and want to in- incorporate us into the life of the church. And, and by that, what I mean is not simply what happens on Sunday morning. Uh, I'm talking about into, into the experiences that we have both inside the church on Sunday morning and as, as the church outside of a building on Sunday morning. And so I, I, my hope and prayer would be more than just the 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 episode that takes place on a Sunday morning, if you will, that 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 a lot of these young preachers are trying to are, are trying to put together. They're trying to put together this 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 whiz bang experience on Sunday morning, uh, only to do it again next week, hoping that the next one will be better. Uh, what you're talking about, what we're talking about, is 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 a thought process, a philosophy that says. The church is a part of our lives. When you mentioned, I know you had written an article about the fact that we need to be vulnerable, we need to be critical, we need to be there, we need to be, you know, present. And 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 you talked about the responsibilities that 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 church members have to the local body body, you know, that that they're a part of. I think all, all, there's there's a give and take on both ends, right? There's a responsibility that we have. There's a responsibility that. That, that pastors have, but we need to have a thought process that says, "Church is who I am. Church is about the part, of, uh, you know, is is a part of what I'm experiencing. This is a part of what I'm going to invest in. This is a part of, of of my life because I'm now uh, a part of the body of Christ." And that's kind of how it should be thought through. We really need to think and, and be critical about, you know, how we function uh, as far as members engage in the life of a church, that idea of hospitality, the idea of just consistent engagement with 
you know, Christian friendship, the, the depth of friendships that we have in the life of the church matters. And we should be, we should be thinking about that. Um, we also need to be mindful of, you know, how we're contributing to the life of a church. You know, a, a church budget is more than just numbers on a paper. It's, it's the idea of us taking part in the functionality of the discipleship ministry and also mission ministry of that local church. And we need to be sacrificial. We need to be giving and we need to be contributing on a regular basis as often as we can to, to help with, with all of those endeavors. And we, we saw a massive need as we went through this COVID-19 season. A lot of churches suffered. In fact, I, I heard statistics that were massively troubling that lots of local churches closed their doors during COVID-19, which is unbelievable to think about the reality that, that members would just forsake their church simply because of the cultural pressures that were happening with COVID-19, which is a completely different conversation altogether, obviously. But, but we, we should be committed to our local church. We should be sacrificial in our giving. And then, of course, the leaders should be taking you know, this idea, this calling of shepherding seriously. You know, which means driving away the wolves that are lurking in the shadows, naming names when necessary, as far as false teachers are concerned, not always trying to just be Mr. Nice Guy when it comes to shepherding. We have to actually name the wolves. We have to call them out. We have to point out the, the danger to the sheep. But as we think about definitions, years ago, there was what we might call the three pillars, if you will, of of a, of a local church, what would it take for a local church to actually be an authentic church? And scholars and theologians would oftentimes describe the life of a local church and the authenticity of a local church by three pillars. First would be that of biblical preaching, and that would be what we would call expositional preaching, not just topical sermonettes for Christianettes, but genuine, authentic verse-by-verse verse approach to delivering the Word of God. And then there was this idea of the right administration of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So how we do that matters. And then there was this third pillar of the practice of biblical church discipline. So when you start talking about, you know, people are, in fact, I had a conversation yesterday. There was a, a family that called us. They're their son is graduating from college, and he's moving into the Atlanta area, and he's looking for a healthy church, and they're going to be visiting with us in a couple of weeks. And we were having a conversation about things on, on the phone, about church life, about ecclesiology. And they were talking about, you know, why it is that they're searching out for a biblical church. And we were just having this conversation. But as we think about that, when I talk to people who are moving and they're looking and they're searching for a local church, I will often tell them that they actually need to be looking for these three things. They need to be looking for a church that actually has biblical preaching, the right and proper administration of the ordinances, both baptism and the Lord's table. Does the pastor fence the Lord's table? Does he, does he specify boundaries in regards to the Lord's table? How often do they practice Lord's Supper and partake of, of communion? That matters. And then do they practice church discipline? And if a church is not practicing church discipline, that's not like one of the things that's just up for debate. Jesus commands it. It's an imperative. And so if Jesus commands it, then we need to be practicing it. 
And so, again, we need to be looking for a healthy local church that will feed our families, that will disciple our children according to the Word of God and not the trends of culture. Absolutely. I, I when you when you're talking earlier about the about just the sacrificial giving component, and my mind immediately went to Acts two twenty three, where where Luke writes. Um, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon everyone. Uh, and there were signs and wonders being done uh, among the uh, apostles. Uh, I think about that because the following verse uh, talks about that they were selling their their possessions and belongings and distributing to all in need. There was, there was. Th- this is this isn't about whose whose money belongs to who. This is about a an investment that that believers now have. Uh, that for them was was financial in some ways, uh, in other ways it might have been it might have been uh, an offer of hospitality, uh, but but there was there was an investment into the body of believers for one another, uh, and and man I I think at the end of the day most people regardless of whether inside or outside of the, of the church they actually long for that they long for a, a belonging a community by which they can belong and so cultures dividing us all up in these different components and facets and labels of you know of race and ethnicity and 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 gender and and sexuality for the purpose of trying to mimic what the church has built in naturally um and so i, th- I think it's important that at, you know to the point that you made that we come back to to three pillars that really typify what good church what a good church model looks like so that those who are believers who are christians can look for those components and land in a space where they could they could really identify and and connect with the body of Christ. Yeah, and, and you know your your mention of the church, the early church there in Acts two, and and what that looks like, and how they came together and cared for one another. You don't do that when you're a disconnected church member. First of all, if you're a disconnected church member, just randomly and sporadically showing up for church, you're probably not even going to know the needs of that church. And if you do, it's going to be an afterthought or it's going to be something that's already been taken care of. So if you're at the heart of that church, if you're showing up for the prayer meeting, which is a really important time in the life of the church, and if you say, well, our church doesn't have a prayer meeting, well, that's that's indicative of a problem because a lot of churches today have moved away from prayer meetings. They don't have them anymore because, well, that doesn't attract the people in the community because people don't like to pray. Well, you know, again, you just have to ask yourself the question, what is a church? What is a church? And so how we function is not based upon what we're hoping that people will like out in the community. Because if that's what your goal is, to make people in the community happy, well then, you know, that's you're, you're just going to open up Pandora's box at that point. I mean, the, the, there is really no end in sight as to what you might end up doing to please a godless culture. The the church, the church functions in order to please God. And the functionality of the church should be organized in such a way for God's people to do what God has called us to do. So that means that we pray, we give. We we don't create a worship environment or a service that looks or sounds a certain way to be appealing to goats. We're called to feed the sheep. Jesus didn't say I want you, Peter, I want you to go and entertain goats. That's not what he said. He said, I want you to feed my sheep. 
So how we, our approach as pastors to the pulpit matters. And if you don't have an appetite as a church member for the regular and the right preaching of the Word of God, then that's indicative of a heart problem there, you know? And so our our, our church culture, evangelicalism today, is just saturated with church consumerism. You know, well, if a church offers this down the road, then we'll just go there. Or here's one that's really concerning, Virgil. It's the idea of allowing a teenager to actually choose the church that your family joins. This is an ongoing problem. It's a very common thing today. You hear of people that are, um, you know, making a move from one church to the next because their teenager wants to actually go to another church. Why do you think that that teenager wants to go there? Is it because their prayer meeting is serious and robust? Is it because the, the, the preaching is expositional? Is it because they practice church discipline? Why is it that your teenager wants to go to that church? It's probably because of some carnal thing, or maybe because there's someone there that they're attracted to, maybe a, a relationship or something of that nature. We should never choose our church based upon what our children want. I mean, our children, let's be honest, Virgil, our children just a few years ago, even our teenagers couldn't find their socks that matched before they left for school or before they went out to church that morning. And we're going to let them choose what church that our family should actually join? I mean, no, we should not do that. And so we need to be thinking about why it is that we're members of the churches that we're members of why it is that we do what we do in the life of the church, and then the church leaders, pastors that are listening to this conversation. We need to be very intentional about how we organize our church's worship service. I mean, let's just be honest. If we came home, Virgil, let's just ask this question. If you came home this afternoon and your wife had supper that she was preparing for the family, and upon your arrival, you walked in, you could smell the aroma, and it, it had a unique smell to it. And you walked around the corner and you greeted your wife and you asked her how she was how she was preparing this meal. And she said, well, Virgil, I just opened up the cabinet. I grabbed a whole bunch of ingredients. I just grabbed whatever I saw first and I just put it all into this mixing pot, add a little bit of water, put a little bit of spice here and a little bit of seasoning there and just started stirring it up. Now, is that really the way that you would encourage someone to, to cook a meal? Now, the answer to that is what, right? No. No way. No way. No way. Way, right? <laughs> we're not doing, we're, we're not interested in eating a meal that's had that lack of intentionality right. put into it, right? Right, right. And why is it that we should choose our church? And why is it that we as church leaders should go about designing or organizing the life and the functionality of our church in that same way? Mm -hmm. There should be this, this thought process. Like People should arrive and walk in and understand that there's been a lot of intentionality. Everything from the opening call to worship to the closing benediction. Even when you arrive on the church campus, how you arrange things, uh, even what's happening inside the worship, what people call sanctuary or the auditorium. Uh, you know, you just ask yourself this question— is, is there a lot of distraction happening in that space? Or is there, is there intentionality and focus? Is the focal point the pulpit? What's happening there? Why is it happening there? 
And so we need to be very intentional about how we order everything because God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. God has called us and prescribed the way that he wants us to sing, the way that he wants us to preach, the way that he wants us to worship. And so all of this matters, right? Yeah, you said, man, you said a lot there. Uh, everything from the idea of, of you know, children choosing the church, and, and that's pretty prevalent, isn't it? I mean, when you think about um, reasons why people join a church, a lot of them will be driven by, do they have certain kids' programs and, and children's programming? And that'll be the driver for them rather than the things that you mentioned. At the end of the day, that's an abdication of responsibility of, of the husband in that, in that situation. He's totally totally, you know, not being responsible, not leading his family in the way that he should if, if the kids are the ones, are, you know, who are making those kinds of decisions. He's completely advocating his responsibility. So in, in, one, on, in one sense, you kind of aimed, aimed in, in the direction of, of family and, and the responsibility that men have to, to lead and shepherd their, their families. On the other end, you kind of aimed a little bit at, the, at, at a pastor who's thinking that he's got to figure out what's going to draw people. Let's not have the prayer meeting. Let's have the, you know, the, 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 the shindig. Let's have, the, let's have the, the church dance. Let's have the, you know, that kind of thing happening in, the, in a pulpit so that people can be, can be drawn. When at the end of the day, the church is supposed to be a place where repentant sinners who've professed faith in Christ have come and made a decision to follow him. And, and as a result of that, they, they're, they're gathered then with the corporate body of believers who also made that decision. And if we understand that that's who makes up the church, then these ideas that we have about pursuing cultural uh, uh, opportunities or, or, or cultural uh, uh, opportunities to, 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 to entertain people won't be the things that we'll employ. We'll employ things that take people who know and love God and point them toward the worship of God in the corporate setting. And so, I mean, just, just a lot of things to consider there with regard to that. So again, for pastors on one end to make sure that they're, they're connecting to the sufficiency of scripture and, and to families and, and, and particularly fathers who have the ultimate responsibility of leading and shepherding their family uh, to the word of God for the purpose of knowing why they're going to church, what they need to get from church and what they need to be giving as a part of uh, being a, a part of a local body. Yeah, that's in, that's that's important. I was recently interviewed on a podcast and I was asked the question of of my preference re- regarding pizza. Do I prefer or do I enjoy pineapple on pizza? And and they wanted to know and it was a right. serious question. They wanted to know. And so I gave my answer. And so I'll just throw that back at you since we were talking about ingredients and additives just a moment ago. So what do you think? Do you, do, right. do you, do you prefer right. having pineapple on your pizza? No, brother. So whoever, whoever's doing that, there's something wrong with them. They, they need it. They need a, they, <laughs> they need an ex, extra time at the prayer meeting is what they need, bro. <laughs> well, the reason that I ask you that is because the additives matter. Everything that we do and everything that takes place inside that gathered assembly for worship should be well thought out. And, you know, if you're thinking, well, I, I would never have pineapple on my pizza. I want my, my pineapple. I want my fruit. Mm-hmm. I want it separate from pizza. Absolutely. When we talk about pizza, I want to have certain things, you know, on that. I want cheese. I want meat. I want bread. We can talk about whether it should be stuffed crust or whether it shouldn't be, you know, all mm-hmm. that sort of talk. You know, we can have that conversation. 
But when it comes to the life of the church, if we're going to take additives, just cultural additives, and then sprinkle those things into the life of the church in order to, you know, maybe spice things up a bit or maybe increase people's, you know, excitement and that type of thing, then we're approaching the life of the church in an incorrect way. We need to be asking God what he wants us to do in the life of the church. How does he want us to worship? And then, of course, we have a book for this, right? And it's called the Bible. And we can just go right to the scriptures and we can ask, we can evaluate, we can look at the example of the local church. We can see that in the early church's life. We can look at how they function. We can look at Jesus's commands related to singing and to prayer. He says, pray then like this. And then he gives us a model prayer. He condemns the Pharisees for their their you know, lack of praying properly and how they prayed, you know, so that, you know, people could hear their great swelling words. He condemns that. He calls them whitewashed tombs. I mean, we see all of these different, you know, prescriptions, if you will, in the in the pages of scripture. And so when we want to know what God wants and and how he's pleased and what he prefers and what he commands, we can just read the Bible. And we can find out how we should worship God. And I think that we should be encouraging others to do that very same thing. So I know your heart, you love the discipleship elements and the discipleship of the local church. And that's how you've served in, in, the, in the past, in the life of local churches. So as we think about not only this conversation and what we've discussed here, but also the announcement that we made recently with the upcoming G3 Church Network. Take a moment to talk to us about why this church network will help with a lot of the things that we've just now talked about. Man, I'm, I'm extremely excited about uh, the, the G3 Church Network and what we're going to be doing moving forward. Uh, as, as we sit down with other local pastors from around the country and begin forming the kinds of relationships and fellowships that we talked about, when we, when, when we get a, an opportunity to open up scripture and really examine where we're going and why, based upon what the Word of God says, understanding that this is not this is not our church, this is not the church that we you know popped up on a street corner, but the, the, the church is, actually belongs to Christ. We are his bride. We are his body. And that as a, as, a, as a result of that, we have a responsibility to walk things out in very specific ways. So, so to, to, to connect with others who, who hold that same idea, that same thought process, and, and have a desire to connect, arm, to lock arms together uh, as we engage culture, society, uh, but at, at the same time recognize that we, we're in the world, but we will not be of it, and uh, that, that we're going to grow uh, and, and really advance the kingdom of God and, and the way that, that Christ desires for his body, the church to do, his bride to do. I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, the kinds of resources that we're going to be providing uh, to, to others for them to experience and, and read and learn and the curriculum that we're going to be developing, all kinds of opportunities and things that we're going to be offering uh, for others to to glean from, to learn from, and to grow with. It's going yeah. to be really exciting. You mentioned those relationships. Again, back to what we were talking about related to the local church, and uh, not only relationships there, but also even in the in the earlier conversation as we were discussing just relationships that we have and enjoy around the conference. When it comes to this network, we're going to have really good relationships with brothers, fellow pastors, 
And we're going to be able to talk about these things. We're going to be able to, yeah. you know, have entire sessions on a monthly yes. basis where we just talk about church discipline and we just talk about how it is that we're doing this and maybe mm-hmm. help local churches and in fact, help pastors avoid some critical mistakes as we roll out seeking to obey God yeah. in these very critical areas. So I want to encourage pastors to be thinking about how uh, they could join this G3 Church Network. Again, it's not a denomination, and it's not mutually exclusive to other networks. You can be a part of the G3 Church Network and another church network as well. But we're going to be able to fellowship together. We're going to have pastoral uh, gatherings and retreats that we're going to be able to come together in person, not just on a monthly Zoom call, but also coming together in person to pray together and to to flesh out some of these very important pastoral matters. And I just think it's going to be an invaluable opportunity and relationship that will be formed through the network. And so we want to encourage you to start now praying through that process and look for the application for the G3 Church Network that will be rolled out on August the 2nd on the G3 website. That's at g3men.org. So as we're thinking about the upcoming conference and gathering together with 6,000 brothers and sisters in Christ and singing the gospel together and praying together and fellowshipping together and making ministry connections in the exhibit hall, we hope that you can join us uh, this coming fall in Atlanta. You can find out more information about our conference, but we also have some uh, very encouraging pre-conference opportunities as well. Virgil, talk to us about that. Man, I'm extremely excited about our pre-conference. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We've got a number of of great speakers, uh, John MacArthur, uh, Tom Pennington, just a number of of great speakers who are going to be talking about the trials and temptations uh, that that surround and triumphs of of pastoral life. And so uh, you'll want to be a part of that. Pastors will want to be a part of that. We also have a a, a Spanish conference as well with the same title, different speakers, uh, solely for our Spanish speakers. Uh, It'll be September 29th. Uh, You definitely want to be a part of that. Uh, Connect with us on that. Uh, Go on to our website, uh, g3men.org, and uh, and register for that pre-conference going right into the National G3 Conference. Someone might be listening to this podcast today, and they're thinking about maybe being an exhibitor for their ministry at the G3 National Conference. Is it too late to sign up for that, Virgil? Definitely want you to come. There is a process. Uh, you definitely need to put in an application. Uh, we we definitely want to take a look at what you're offering and, and just make sure that it aligns theologically, biblically with where we stand. And so once we identify that that's the case, uh, we'll, we'll be connecting with you. Uh, I have the, 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 the great task of just vetting those folks, uh, making sure we've got the, the greatest resources available for our local pastors. We're going to be coming from all across the country. You'll definitely want to be a part of that. If you're an exhibitor, you'll definitely want to check it out if, if you're a participant as well. It's going to be an amazing time. Wonderful. Well, Virgil, thank you for joining me for this edition of the G3 Podcast. Thanks, man. All right. And if you are uh, listening to us on a regular basis, we want to encourage you to point others in the direction of our website where they can find the archives of this very podcast. That's at g3men.org. We're also on Apple Podcast and Spotify and other places so you can find us there. We encourage you to join us for this upcoming G3 National Conference. You can register online at our website. There's also 
uh, opportunities to find out about lodging. We have specific hotel blocks at various different hotel properties, and you can find that at our website as well. So we hope you have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you back with us next time on the G3 podcast. May God bless you.